Good morning. Yeah, it is uh, great to be back. This is actually the sixth Sunday since I last preached uh, and opened up the book of Psalms. So if you have your, the, your Bibles with you, and that'd be a good idea to have a, either a Luddite printed version or something on your phone or whatever, it's good to follow along. We really, really encourage that here at The Rock. Open up to the book of Psalms. I won't tell you which Psalm yet. It's going to be a, it's going to be a test. It's going to be a quiz, okay? But just to say that uh, we, I began, I think it was six weeks ago, with Psalm 1. Good place to start, right? And uh, it's just been a really wonderful pattern for the last couple of years, uh, actually three years, I think, where I've actually been able to have a number of weeks off in the summer, two weeks for vacation, and then a few more weeks to just, again, rest the brain from preparing sermons and then delivering them, but also to be able to pray and prepare for the fall season. And uh, I just, I can't tell you how, I think it's a really good break for me, right? But I think it's also a good break for you, amen? Don't, don't be so excited. Uh, no, really it is, it is. We've always wanted that. You know, it's not about one voice. We're a, uh, uh, we have a board of five elders now. And I just want to thank the guys uh, uh, for stepping up and, and bringing really, really great messages in that time. So thanks to Rudy and to Joey and to Kevin last week. And also the two Johns from Northview, our big sister church in Abbotsford. They all did such a great job and, and took a psalm uh, that was on their heart and brought a message that was a blessing to you and a blessing to Janice and I as well as we watched along with you. And so, yeah, it, it was particularly good, I feel, for this summer because I, I've been waiting for quite a while to just have the opportunity to be able to pray into the fall season uh, and the new season, which is usually from you know, September through until June. And actually, you know, Lord, <laughs> where should we go? Because I'll just be honest with you, after you know, 14 years of planting the church, it feels like after we're finishing a book, it's like, what next? <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's three weeks before we're finished that, it's, you know, I'm sorry. But, and yet the Holy Spirit always steps up and shows us something that, you know, almost every time I feel has been good for us. And so it's really been great this year to have this time to reflect on the fall. And he's put something on my heart, and which I brought to the elders, and they, they agreed. They said, yeah, let's do that in the fall. So... It'll be a surprise. We'll, we'll tell you about that in a week or so. Um, so with your Bibles open, we're going to conclude, uh, not conclude today, but we're going to look at a psalm today um, that I'm going to suggest to you is the most famous psalm of all the psalms, and there's 150 of them. So who's going to tell me what psalm we're going to be preaching on today? 23? Uh, that's a good guess. That's a very good guess. Yes, yeah, Psalm 23. So if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 23... <laughs> Yes, that's really funny. I know, at my expense, but that happens usually. That's really great. And so that, actually next week I'll conclude the series. And so I opened uh, six weeks ago with Psalm 1. Guess which one we're going to look at next week? Psalm 150. Thank you very much. You're right again. Yeah, which is the last psalm, which would be great. So let me read uh, the text. This will not be on screen. Um, and we'll get to it in a few minutes. But I'm going to read the uh, six verses of this beautiful, beautiful, well-known psalm. And then I'm going to pray for us one more time so that we might hear from the Holy Spirit this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a good sermon right there. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much uh, for this day, for this opportunity to be here today. And Lord, as we all, we all have, we've all already prayed for those we are concerned about. Uh, Lord, we, we pray right now that you, that you would just focus on us in this room at this moment, Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, we all come here this morning um, with various valleys going on in our lives. And so, Lord, even just the worry about what's going on in our world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would calm our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just illuminate these words that you've given to me to illuminate this psalm. It's just so familiar to so many of us. So I pray that it might be fresh. And I pray that it would be comforting and incredibly encouraging to us today. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So if you remember back uh, six weeks ago when we opened up Psalm 1, I gave a little bit of background on the Psalms, and just for those of you who weren't here then, but also, you know, you know the book. I mean, you've heard of it. Everyone's heard of the Psalms, I think, um, Christian and non. Uh, They're really an interesting collection, aren't they? They're actually three different books, a total of 150 uh, Psalms in total. We get the the word psalm from the Greek word uh, that literally means a poem sung to musical instruments. But it comes from the Hebrew uh, in Psalm, in the Old Testament, which is the word telahim, which literally means one word, praises, plural. It's, it's kind of why we get, because we know these are poems that are written to musical accompaniment, so they're to be sung, which is why we get the phrase praise and worship. Now, worship is the whole service from beginning to end, but we call the time when we sing praises to our God, praise and worship. And it kind of comes from that. We also know that this, these psalms are, are they're just integral to the life of the people of Israel. The, the, their history is throughout this collection of beautiful songs. And it's unpacked for us throughout it. it we also learned that it's about five or six different authors who've written uh, these psalms, 73 of them written by the person who wrote this psalm, King David. So these are significant points to us. They were written almost 3,000 years ago. And yet here we are. Here we are reading them and being blessed by them. I heard someone ask this question this week. I think it was on a podcast that I was listening to. Can, have you ever stopped for a second and wondered what it would be like if we did not have the Bible? <laughs> if you didn't ever have the opportunity to open it and read it, or have it opened and read for you? God could do it a different way, couldn't he? But still, we'd be lost, wouldn't we? It's so beautiful to have the word of God with us. So as we begin to consider this beautiful psalm, as I've already noted, it's very well known, isn't it? I mean, it's extremely well known. Uh, I I read a funny, actually, anecdotal story this uh, past week. I love any anecdotal story where a pastor is talking about golfing. It's either hockey or golf, okay? I'm sorry, but... So really, he's, he's talking about anecdotally. He went out on the golf course one day, and this has been happening to me all summer. He steps up to the tee box, and he hits a terrible drive. Terrible. Now, he's playing with three other guys who are buddies of his, but they're not Christians. 
so after the terrible drive, it doesn't actually say how bad it was, but it sounded like it was terrible. He just blurts out the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? And he's like, why did I, I'm a pastor. Why? Okay, that's why he said it, right? Well, one of his playing partners, who's not a Christian, replied and said, he makes me lie down in green pastures instead of the thick rough. <clears throat> he leads me beside quiet waters instead of ponds full of golf balls. Right. He refreshes my soul. I thought that was funny, which is why I wanted to share with you this morning. But you know what it tells us also? Many, many non-Christians know this psalm well, right? They know it. It's a great door opener when you think about it, but they do know this psalm. So besides the familiarity that is difficult for me to bring something fresh for you today, I come on, so pray for me as we do this, but, but also think about it this way. There is a specific event where this psalm, at least one verse anyway, is often brought out. This is the, this is the event for this psalm. Off Now, what would that event be? Another quiz. You guys, you guys are good. I, it was a little low. He didn't yell, yell, yell. But yes, a funeral or a celebration of life. And of course, the preacher dude would usually read from the King James Version, Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, I don't have a British accent, but it would... Um... That's often where it is actually brought out, right? The psalm is quoted, and, and rightfully so. At least that one verse applies, does it not? But I want to suggest to you this morning, if we were to stop there, if we were to stop there, we would, we would miss maybe the real meaning behind this psalm, the, the purpose of why it was written, and why it is a psalm for all of life, not just that one point in life and death. So, let's have a look at this. I want to have a look at this as we usually do, verse by verse. And we'll start with the first verse. It will be on screen. And you know it because we've been reading it and you know it off by heart. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so, again, if you're a regular attender of the Rock Church, you know that our pattern is we go through books of the Bible verse by verse. <laughs> it, for some people, it's, it's kind of painful. It's like, would you just get to the point? No, we, we go, why do we do that? We go through books of the Bible verse by verse because, first of all, that's the way it's written. And, and second of all, it's because we, we want to learn what it really means. And context is incredibly important. And so we know this. We know that the original author, which in this case is King David, uh, he had an intent. He had something in mind when he was writing the song. And so we want to be able to discover what his intent was. We also know that there was an original audience that would have heard this song or read this song, and they would have received it a certain way. And so it's important as we go through that we understand the context, because then we can understand maybe the meaning in that day and out of that, maybe how that will apply to you and I now, 3,000 years later after this song was written. So on that note, I want to warn you in advance, we're going to actually start word by word in this first verse. I'll pick up the pace, don't worry, okay? So let's look at that. The first word is, in this verse, the Lord. The Lord. Let's look at that word. For the, for the original Jewish audience, this word would have been Yahweh, it would have been Yahweh. And, and of course, they, they, didn't, they, they wanted to be very careful. They didn't want to um, be disrespectful to the Lord, so they, they it was very careful how they would name him, right? We, we will call him the Lord. They, they, they didn't 
feel that that was their place. So they actually called him Yahweh. And they knew him as, listen, the one true God. They would recite from their Shema, they would recite regularly. This won't be on screen, but it's from Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And so they were very specific about this Lord. When they see this written, they understand who David is talking about. He's talking about Yahweh, their Lord, the God, definite article of the world, let alone the people of Israel. And so that's very important. And so we learn that also in the first four words of the Bible, which, again, I love going back to Genesis. You know the first four words, right? In the beginning, who? God. It's the Hebrew word Elohim. And, and it's, it's just, you know what, it's just a statement of fact. I know there are people here in this room, and I've been through this most of my Christian life, who love apologetics, right? Giving a defense for the truth that lies within us. In other words, arguing with people about every theological thing that they don't understand, including creation and evolution. Okay, we're not going there this morning. See, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't start off with, well, let, me, let us explain to you why you should believe that there is, in fact, a God. It doesn't do that. It's because it's actually written by God. It's written by the Holy Spirit. And it just declares that he is. And that's exactly what we see from that. There's no debate, just that God is. That's the next word. See that? In our text today, the next word is is. And so it's like the assertion in Genesis 1, God just is. God always was, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father is today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our Lord God is. And he will be for eternity. He is eternal. He is that God. He is, always was, and always will be. And this God is both a reality and he is a God who can be known. Why? Because he's made himself known. He's made himself known. He spoke creation into existence, and he gave us his word. And then, of course, he sent his son, who spoke directly as a human, as a man, as a God-man to us. The next word is very critical in this text. The Lord God is my. What a statement. The psalmist declares, David declares, with, with something that every one of us here today must declare. You need to declare this. You need to be able to declare truthfully that he is your Lord. That's what David is declaring for us here today. He's saying, he is my personal Lord, Savior, and Shepherd. He's declaring that to the people who he's writing the song to, and he's, he's asking them not only to sing it in, as in his tents, but also their tents. The Lord is my shepherd. So he's mine. It's a personal thing. So that's the big question for you. Every one of us in this room today, I don't know everybody here. I don't know everyone's heart. I don't know everyone's confession. But at the end of the day, the question has to be, have you trusted him this way? Have you trusted him and placed your faith in home in him alone as God, as Lord, as Savior, as shepherd. And so that's, of course, the next word. It's a great word. When we hear the word shepherd, of course, our natural inclination from any study in the New Testament, or the Old for that matter, is the image of this lowly farmer. You know, this, this guy who's not really dressed all that well. He's kind of very low down on the food chain when it comes to income and, and quite frankly, prestige. And he's got a rod and he's got a staff and he's got a flock 
in the field, right? And he's always watching out for them, and he's always, you know, looking for them. There's always a few, you know, running away, and he has to go after those. It's a reasonable Old Testament and New Testament picture of who God is and who a shepherd is. However, again, specifically for the people of Israel, when they heard this word, when they heard this preached to them and written to them from David, they would again have thought of a specific theme related to Yahweh, who was their shepherd. They always viewed Yahweh as their shepherd. And the reason for that was because he was their king. And in, in ancient days, regardless of whether you were Jewish or you were pagan, all kings in that culture in that day were seen to be and thought to be shepherds. Why? Well, because their responsibility, not just to pillage and plunder and, and use and take advantage of, but their responsibility really was to protect, to provide for, to care for the people, not only in their charge, but in their care. And so that, that again, is something that they would have seen as, as a shepherd. And so this is a, this is a bigger picture from their perspective, of who a shepherd is. It's not just this. But again, here's the great thing. They would have seen this written and they would have probably heard it sung by him because he was a worship leader too. They would have probably realized, hold on a second. This song is written by our King David. And isn't it amazing that before the Lord God chose him to be our King, what was he? He was a lowly shepherd boy (laughs) caring for a flock of sheep. And so for him, listen, for David to name the Lord God as his personal shepherd was a mark of great humility. It was, it, was, it was basically David stating to all the people who read this song, listen, he is the ultimate king. He is the one who's ultimately on the throne. We're only a few words in, right? But this, this word shepherd is incredible. So as we discussed in our first message in this series, Jesus is found in every psalm, right? Well, he's found in every chapter of the Old Testament and the New Testament, but he's found in every psalm as well. Uh, they are a testament that all of Scripture points to him, and so they do here. Some of you are probably thinking, you know, how long is it going to be before Glenn is back preaching and he mentions Tim Keller? Okay, here we go. Tim had a, a, a saying. He had many fantastic sayings. But one of the things he used to say is he used to say that Jesus is the true and better fill-in-the-blank. And so he would say, Jesus is the true and better Adam. And that's true. Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Absolutely. Jesus is the true and better Moses. And, of course, he would say, Jesus is the true and better King David. It's awesome, and it's true. Last Tuesday was the celebration of life for pastor, theologian, author Tim Keller in New York City. So Sam Elberry, I was, I was wondering, like, who is going to be the one who's going to give the homily? Who's the one who's going to give the sermon? You know, is it going to be John Piper? Is it going to be D.A. Carson, which is his buddy at the Gospel Coalition? Who could it be? Well, Sam Elberry was chosen, and he did a phenomenal job. But in the sermon, just to finish the illustration that I was giving to you, it was really kind of funny at one point because it was a beautiful service. Uh, But he said uh, the saying that everyone would realize. He said, Jesus is the true and better Tim Keller. Amen? Okay, so I just wanted to get that. 
So for, for listen, for you and I, here's the thing. 2,000 years this side of the cross and 3,000 years since this psalm was written, we can recite the first verse this way. The Lord is my shepherd and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's, that's how you and I should be reading this and seeing this, this particular verse. And that's true because, well, it is, but also scripture confirms that. Hebrews 13.20 says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus who resurrected him from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. And it goes on. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.25, for you were straying like sheep. Oh, yes, we were. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter also says in chapter 5, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's a future event, by the way. So he's our chief shepherd. He is our good shepherd. So there's one other character, of course, in this psalm. And uh, we, we, we see this character in the psalm. Uh, um, he or she is represented by the words, my, me, I. And, of course, we know that the other character in the psalm is us, sheep. Now, there's a lovely New Testament picture, isn't it? Right? We're sheep. And you know what the picture is. I mean, if you think the, 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 uh, the shepherd is a lowly picture, well, the picture of the sheep is interesting. They're often portrayed as, you know, defenseless, right? not able to protect themselves, smelly, mm-hmm. yeah, and dim, apparently. So I, actually, scientists today think that's not true, but science isn't perfect. So anyway... Um, But they're defenseless, really, really, as portrayed there. They're against predators, especially those big, bad wolves, of course. They're also, as I said, smelly. Now, it's it's not a pretty picture, right? Now, some of you are here today. I I mean, I used to be like this a little bit. Sometimes I can even still be like this today. It's a little bit, hold on a second. You know, those of you that are a little on the self-confident side, you know, I I can take just about anything. I'll bring it on. Yeah, it's all right. Come on. You know, stiff upper lip, that kind of person. Really. Okay, I just want you to, I, I want you to hold that thought as we go through this psalm this morning. Because just remember, we're all sheep who've gone astray. So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it finishes with. And that's a great phrase, I shall not want. Of course, it's the first of several statements that David is going to make uh, expressly clearly about who it is that David himself actually places all his confidence in. He doesn't place his confidence in himself. This, David has become an incredible king, an incredible warrior. He's also failed numerous times and will again. But he's placing all of his confidence and his trust in God. The word want here implies, listen, needing something we lack, not necessarily getting everything we want. Right? Yeah, It's not the prosperity gospel here. It's not like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want because he will give me a big house. In Squamish. Hold that thought. No, it's about what we need. So we can confidently trust that our shepherd will always provide what we best need. And I, my experience is just when we need it. Just when we need it. So now the psalmist describes how and what our shepherd provides. It's beautiful. He says in verses 2 and 3, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness 
for his name's sake. So again, if you, if you notice the, the action words in these, it's just really beautiful. First is he makes me lie down. It's not like he forces me to lie, but he makes me lie down, as we'll see. He leads me. He restores me. You and I are in this, we see, in, in the hands of a loving God whose desire is to lead us on the path that he best sorts out for us. Sometimes we wonder, Lord, really? You want me to go to Squamish and plant a church? Really? There's sheep there. You know that, right? Yes, Glenn. And, and there's some really, really awesome sheep there who are going to help you do this because they're mine. So we need to see the word makes as kind of like, it's maybe not the best illustration, but kind of like making your bed, like Jordan Peterson says, get up to young men and make your bed. It's a good thing. But it, it's kind of like that because what we need to see our Lord doing is that he's making these things. For, he's preparing good things for us. That's the kind of shepherd and kind of God that we are relying on. It's a good place to be. So again, the original audience's perception of this is important for us to see. When they heard these verses, these two verses, the primary thing that they would have been thinking is, oh, this is the good life. But why? They lived in a land, honestly, that was uh, longer and more severe water restrictions than you and I have ever seen. Decades of drought. Any time they were being promised green grass and it was being provided by their shepherd God and still water, which is pure and clean, this is life. This is life to them. So when they hear it, yes, it's metaphorical in some sense, but also what they're hearing is he's going to provide for us what we need, even in the midst of terrible fires, in drought and in scarcity. So they lived, as I said, in this land. So green pastures, still waters are places where all of the main cares, all of the main struggles of their lives will fade away. It's very restorative to the soul. It requires trust. It requires trust. So David paints a picture of the abundant life that our shepherd desires for us. Actually, in these three statements, the shepherd causes his sheep to lie down. Some of us don't want to lie down. <laughs> Some of us want to keep moving on. He's like, no, stay in Squamish. Okay, that's, that's an old message, but anyway. No, he, he, he causes us to lie down, to, to be patient. He makes us approach quiet waters carefully. He leads them faithfully on the correct paths. You can see this in your daily life, as we'll see in a few moments, by sitting at the table with your shepherd. So each Im- image emphasizes the shepherd's role as a provider. All that said and true, our loving God and shepherd, listen, you know this is true. He doesn't guarantee us a bed of roses, does he? It's still life. We live in a broken and sinful world, and there is this next verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. So there's the verse. This is the verse that is brought out, trotted out at every funeral celebration of life, and that's good. That's that's a good thing. It's applicable. But I feel there are also a few things we need to take from this verse for the present. The first two words in the ESV translation are critical. It's it's the words, even though, right? It's a little bit like, despite that. 
So even though, and to all of you who earlier believed that your self-confidence and strength and virility, you guys, well, some of you ladies, consider yourself pretty strong too, that you can, you can, you can deal with all these troubles in life. Well, this particular verse is talking not about just your final destination, your final physical death. This is talking about all of the deaths that happen in life. And deaths happen in life every day. There is, of course, the death of a loved one, a spouse, dear Lord, a child, a brother, a sister, a cousin, a good friend. Those are valleys. Those are deaths, literally. What about the death of a a friendship? Ever had a, a really close friend turn on you and reject you and that friendship not be restored? It's a death. What about a marriage? (laughs) Well, it's amicable, okay? These are deaths. There can also be a death of a job, a career. How about a death of a dream? I know it sounds silly, but, you know, when I stopped growing at uh, uh, 5'7", the NHL was over. There was still golf, but no. No, but I just, no, that's the, uh, we can laugh at those things, but the death of a dream, there's all kinds of dreams that people have for their life, and my life will not be full if that dream isn't fulfilled, and so it can be a death as well. Or the tragic loss of personal property. I, I got to tell you, I shared with some people earlier today, like Janice and I, we're blessed be, by being able to go to Maui for the last two marches because of... COVID WestJet dollars and stuff like that that we couldn't spend back in March of 2020. But the town of Lahaina was my favorite place to go to. It's just, it's just a vibrant little, uh, it's gone. Not only the shops and the restaurants and, and, and the, the four to 500 year old plantation style history of that place, but all of the homes, all the people who live there, all of the jobs, the livelihood, it's gone. And lots of deaths. But the loss of personal property, possessions like that, is really, really hard. And so our friends in the Okanagan are struggling with the same thing. So David and the Holy Spirit, I believe, want you and I to be able to say at that moment, even though. That's hard, right? We have a good shepherd. Even though. My Lord and shepherd allows me to walk through these valleys of death. I'll look at these words. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you and I are with him and he is with us. That's the why. And so while I'm in that valley, I will sense the comfort of your gentle touch, Lord. I I will sense your rod and your staff. Now, some people hear the rod and the staff, they think about, don't spare the rod, you know, with the child, right? And so it's, it's supposed to be like kind of a, a, a tool for punishment, right? Any good shepherd knows that's not the way you treat sheep with your rod and your staff. You'll scare them, and some of them would actually have a heart attack. It's a tap. It's just a tap. It's just a correction to get them back home. That's the picture that we are to see here, I believe. 
So finally, the psalmist provides us with two more very encouraging pictures of how loving and caring our shepherd is. First is this. I love this. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, you may have noticed in the previous verse, David has changed from my, me, me, I, to you. Now he's speaking, he's praying to, he's writing this song, singing this song directly to his shepherd. That's really important for us to see that. He's directly addressing and speaking to the Lord, which is exactly what he invites you and I to do as well. But look at what he says to the Lord and what he does for him. What does the Lord do for him? He says, you, David's acknowledging this, you prepare for me a table. Now, I don't know. I, I, I've read that for many, many years. I'm like, table, okay. What's he talking about? We're going to get to another table here this morning, but it's, I don't think it's that table, as I think you'll see. Heard a sermon, actually I saw the sermon about two, three years ago um, by a man by the name of Louis Giglio. He uh, preached a sermon on Psalm 23, but it was actually a sermon just on this verse. All right, and when he was preaching the sermon, I, I was thinking of doing it this morning, but I'm pretty sure you would have thought it was incredibly corny. But anyway, he had this big table in front of the podium, in front of the, the pulpit, and it was covered with a big linen cloth, right? And so through the whole sermon, it's really just on this verse, you know, you're waiting for him to reveal what's under that table. His point that he was making in his sermon was is that this table is a table for two. This is your table with Jesus. This is my table with Jesus. And then he, he pulls off the cover to, to, to view it. And I'm just going to tell you what's on my table, okay? I'm going to tell you what's on my table, right? Because it was kind of like what was on his table. But I, I'll tell you right now, on my table, and some of you in the back row, you can probably smell it, is freshly baked sourdough bread. Amen? There's also a stemmed wine glass on my table, right? And there's a bottle of VQA Okanagan Merlot. Pretty sure, right? And most of you who know me, and you also know the Lord Jesus, he turned loaves and fishes into multiples, right? And that fish was raw, so there's sushi on my table. There's oysters, there's clams. There's seafood linguine with cream sauce. You're all welcome to come sometime. Okay, sounds silly though, right? Okay, maybe that's not exactly what's on the table per se, but the point of this is this. This is a table for two. Jesus has made this table for you to sit with him and actually no one else. And that's the really important point of that particular table. So there is a corporate table that we'll go to in a few minutes, but this is a personal table for you and I. And then he says this. This is really uncanny. There's this table. Just imagine Jesus and I, you and Jesus at this table, and it's whatever. You make up your own table, okay? It's, I'm okay with that, but that's my table. But he, he pre- presents that table and puts that table where? In the presence of your and my enemies. What? Why in the world would he do that? This is the remarkable thing about the Bible. It's so consistent. The things that are revealed in it are uncanny, and that's why we have faith in the word of God. Amen? Let me show you this. David is writing this in Psalm 23 about the, in the presence of his enemies. Jesus knew what that looked like, right? In the previous Psalm, in Psalm 22, we read these words. They're prophetic because they're a thousand years before they actually happened, but these are the words of Jesus in Psalm 22 where he said this, 
for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Did that all come true? (laughs) Every single detail. And so when Jesus says, I'm preparing a table for you in the midst of your enemies, it's an important point. Well, Mr. Giglio so appreciated his own sermon, as did many other people. He actually went out and wrote a book, which I got and you might want to get. It's a fantastic book. And uh, it's about Psalm 23 and this verse. And the title of the book is, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. It's a really good book. Because the truth of the matter is, I think, and I know this from my own personal experience, that is exactly what we do. We get up in the morning, and rather than open the Bible and sit at the table with Christ, we all of a sudden start thinking of all those people today that we're going to have to meet, all of those deaths, all of those broken relationships, all of those troubles, and we ended up not only let people, but circumstances and life sit at the table with us, and the enemy is in those things. Do not let the enemy sit at your table. He's not welcome at this table that we're going to later this morning in a few minutes. I thought that was a fantastic picture. And so, yes, this is the picture that we want to see um, in conclusion as we look at this way. Psalm 23, I believe, describes reality. It reveals that we as sheep have all gone astray and how truly helpless creatures in life we really are. We need a savior. We need the kind of guidance, provision, and protection that only one king and great shepherd can provide for us. Jesus invites you to this table personally. The only thing that you need to do, that I need to do, is accept the invitation. That's it. That's the gospel. He's inviting you to that table individually and then corporately this morning. So I'm praying for you that you will come today and every day to this table with your Lord and Savior. And as you do that, as you do that every day, if you are to do that every day, if I'm to do that every day, I'm pretty sure, and I'm going to need some of your help here this morning, especially those of you who are closer to my age, I think you're all going to be able to sing the last verse of this psalm. Do you want to try it with me? Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy help shall follow me, me. Oh, come on, days, days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Thank you, David. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I know I can't sing. That's why they don't let me. You can sing. I hope that psalm, that verse in particular, will be your song this week. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for our Bibles. <laughs> thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that we can, we can go to a familiar psalm, 23, and we just look at some things, consider some things. And, and Lord, consider what we see in these words that you are speaking to us personally. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, those who are watching. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them and encourage them. Lord Jesus, you are my shepherd. Lord, you are our shepherd. I pray that 
every man, woman, and child can leave this building today saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. Lord, thank you for blessing us and providing for us in every possible way. In your worthy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.